The following podcast is not meant for children or for liberals, even though that's pretty much the same thing these days, but that's what we're here for. Somebody's got to keep these brats in line. Anyway, you've been warned. It's the right opinion. These days, our media's either incompetent or malevolent. They don't believe in heaven, but they acting like they haven't sent. Knowing the truth is way harder than telling it. We gotta work harder, gotta be more intelligent. Sometimes we just gotta grab a mic and start yelling shit. We're living in times when it's hard to stay relevant. Be the elephant in the room in a room full of elephants. Be the elephant in the room in a room full of elephants. Boom. Welcome back to The Right Opinion, right here on the therightopinion.podbean.com, hominmediagroup.podbean.com, and ratsaladreview.com. If you're not doing so already, please be sure to be subscribed to one of those platforms, or all those platforms, or just uh, go to your podcatcher of choice, type in The Right Opinion, and it'll be the show that's got the thumbnail that's black and white and red all over like the New York Times used to be. Also, be sure to follow me on social media on Twitter, at Right Opinion Pod on Instagram at Right Opinion Pod and on Parlor at the Right Opinion Pod and Parlor exists again. I think I haven't quite been over there much yet, but I, I believe it is up and running, which is a good sign for free speech as a whole here in the United States of America. But how united are we these days? I mean, I was told when President Useless Sack of Potatoes took office, that we were going to finally have unity in this country and that he was going to unify the nation and the mean orange bad man was gone so that we could now finally all get along. Oh, wait, we forgot about that already? Yeah, so we're going to talk about unity. We're going to talk about equity, and we're going to talk about absurdity. On the show this week, unity is topic number one. And look, I mean, like I said, basically, President Useless Sack of Potatoes ran on the idea that he was going to unite the nation, he was going to work with Republicans, and he was going to bridge the divides that were created by the orange man who happened to be bad and mean and orange and all of that good stuff. Well, that didn't last very long, and there was really no greater example of that than the unfortunate passing of Rush Limbaugh. So, first and foremost, rest in peace to the GOAT. He is unequivocally the greatest conservative radio personality of all time. There's really no debate. There's no close second. Um, there's there's absolutely no doubt that shows like this would not exist without people like Rush Limbaugh. And obviously, we respect the hell out of him. I'm sure it would surprise you not that I used to listen to Rush when I was younger. Not a lot, but definitely when I was getting my bearings in the political realm and uh, looking for some opinions uh, Rush Limbaugh was one that I stumbled upon and kind of fell in love with for a while there as a youth. So, uh, like I said, this show doesn't exist without Rush Limbaugh. Many of the shows that this show is kind of uh, modeled after certainly wouldn't exist. The Ben Shapiro show, the Dan Bongino show, uh, all that good stuff. None of that happens without Rush Limbaugh. And uh, and it, it was obviously a huge loss. I mean, we those of us who have been following his health situation kind of knew that this day was coming and coming rather soon, and it was it was very disheartening to hear his wife have to get on the air and announce that that Rush had passed away. And uh, you know, for for those of us who have souls, it was sad to hear whether you agreed with the man's politics or not. His his contributions to the world of radio, entertainment, political conversations as a whole in this country are undeniable, and uh, and and he'll be sorely missed 
for, again, most of us that have souls. That brings us to our opposition, the left. Uh, <laughs> they were not particularly upset that Rush Limbaugh died. I saw many people from the party of unity declaring happy Rush Limbaugh is dead day. And of course, these were not just random schmoes on Twitter. These were blue check marks, uh, people who write for major left wing, or, or for that matter, just major publications, because all of them are essentially left wing. And, you know, I hate to, to, to do the hey, you know, we're better than you thing, but hey, we're better than you. Um, when Rush Limbaugh died, they could not hold back their joy. And I seem to recall that Ruth Bader Ginsburg died not all that long ago. I couldn't find a single right-wing voice that was as uh, uh, fractionally as gleeful as these people were about the passing of Rush Limbaugh. Uh, I certainly tried to be as respectful as I possibly could about it here on the show. I was not sitting around anxiously awaiting the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, but again, we kind of knew it was coming, and there was definitely discussions to have about what could happen in the wake of her death, and those were relevant to the political conversation at the time, Rush Limbaugh's death is not necessarily super important to any major political conversations that are being had at the time, but that didn't stop these people from turning it into one big fucking circle jerk about how Rush Limbaugh is dead. Now, if these people knew a lick about Rush Limbaugh, they would know what a tremendous compliment their disdain for him, even in his passing, would be to him, because that was basically what Rush did as a, as a job, as, as a lifestyle, was trigger these fucking people, and I'm sure he would be very, very happy to know that upon his death, their, you know, their disdain for him shined through in such a way that would complement his body of work perfectly, so hats off to the idiots who, uh, who basically only made it more obvious that Rush Limbaugh was completely and utterly living in your heads rent-free. Uh, also, John Lewis passed not that long ago. Don't seem to remember a ton of right-wingers, certainly not any prominent ones in the world of politicians or political punditry, uh, or politics and political punditry, talking about uh, how wonderful it was that John Lewis died, or Elijah Cummings before him, or whatever it was. I mean, it's just, it's despicable that these people, they create a standard, they don't live up to it at all. But God forbid you should violate it in any way, shape, or form, even though they're the ones that made it and don't live up to it. Now, you're the monster. We will discuss that a little bit more at the very, very end of the show. But here's the thing, man. None of us wanted this unity, okay? None, none, of, the, none of us on the right were saying, no, no, we need to unify. We need to get together. We need to come together as a country. We were just saying that you people need to start waking up and like having some respect for the country and for some of our founding principles. And until you do that, we will not be unifying with you as long as you continue to push your ridiculous, radical Marxist bullshit, both on the political, economic, and social fronts as hard as conceivably possible, and you push doe-eyed, you know, former bartender Latinx babes in front of cameras to, to, you know, to charge up all this emotion and get, you know, maybe a few of the incels on the right to switch over because, I don't know, she's cute or something, so she must be right. I don't know what the strategy is, but it appears to be working because enough idiots are convinced that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is like an actual intelligent and, for that matter, productive member of society. I... I mean, hey, we're going to get to how our education system has failed a little bit later on as well. Perhaps that's an explanation. But again, I didn't want the unity. They were the ones 
that kept talking about unity. We needed Donald Trump was dividing us. We needed to unify. Joe Biden was going to do that. None of that actually happened. That seems to be a pattern that's forming with the Biden administration campaign and campaign promises across the board. We were promised schools would open. That's not going to happen. We were promised checks. That's not going to happen. We were promised, uh, you know, a, a, a more civil political discourse. That certainly has not happened. So, again, we didn't want this. We didn't ask for this. We weren't saying that this is something that we needed. We voted against this so-called unity that you guys were propagating, mostly because we knew that it was bullshit from the get-go, as is virtually everything that comes out of Joe Biden's mouth or anybody from his administration. But that said, now that I know the rules, now that we are aware of what the rules of engagement are and the guidelines for such things, yours truly cannot wait to have a fucking party when Hillary Clinton dies, when Joe Biden dies, when Justice Sotomayor dies, when somebody named Cuomo dies. Honestly, that should be a bipartisan thing. We should all get behind that last one. But why even bother having principles at all if your opponents are just, just going to pretend that that there aren't any sort of rules of engagement, that Bongino creates this perfect metaphor all the time is that the right wingers, the conservatives, the Republicans, they go in there and they think that it's a boxing match and we're, we're working with Queensberry rules here. Uh, and, and it turns out that that's not the case. It's actually a chainsaw fight and the left is over here hacking limbs off while you're trying to throw jabs. It just doesn't work. We have to, at some point in time, come up with a a set of rules for us to engage one another. And if the left wants to set them at no holds barred, then that's how we need to play. So fuck all of those people that I just mentioned. Can't wait for all of them to die. Not going to sit here and pretend like they're good people. Not going to do it after they die either. It's time for us to start start showing the level of schadenfreude that these idiots show at every given opportunity, including what was going on down in Texas. Let's touch on that a little bit. wasn't quite in my show notes, but here's another instance where unity seemed to go out the window. Now, you may remember that there was rolling blackouts over the summer in California, and a lot of right-wingers took some glee in that little schadenfreude of our own because, hey, your stupid, insane, ridiculous energy policies and your crazy radical leftism has resulted in your state having not only fires all the time and, and rampant sexual assault and pedophilia in all likelihood, not to mention the amount of illegals that are lived there and safely harbored by their dumbass state government, but let's take that a step further to the fact that you guys have rolling blackouts in the summer because it's hot, which is something that, by the way, happens every year in California. Meanwhile, let's fast forward to this recent event in Texas where Yes, Texas is, has an independent power grid, and they've left themselves vulnerable to certain situations like this one. But this is a one-off, basically once-every-decade sort of event, if that. This is like a, a basically a once-in-a-generation weather event where almost the entirety of Texas is in sub-zero temperatures. This is not standard fare. This is not something that it would make a lot of sense to pre pre to put a lot of money towards preparing because preparing for because we don't know that anything like this was ever going to happen down there so now you got the left showing their schadenfreude for uh texas who is without power by the way i thought we were unifying like i thought orange man bad was gone now and everybody can be nice to one another apparently that doesn't apply when people are freezing to death in their homes and oh by the way if you thought Texas was the only place that was hooked that, that 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 saw problems as a result of this weather event, 
oh, would you be mistaken? But you don't hear about the other places because Texas is the target because Texas is, you know, basically one of the last bastions of freedom even within the United States because freedom is dwindling by the day. And basically you got Texas, South Dakota, and Florida, and anywhere else you are, you could be subject to ridiculous, tyrannical mandates by your governor on any given day, whether it be because of COVID or trans rights or fucking climate change, whatever it may be, they'll come up with an excuse and they'll decide to to run your lives the way that they see fit because that's the way that they think everything is supposed to work. Au contraire, mon frere, that is definitely not how things are supposed to work. So you've got the you've got the left in glee about, oh, look at all these Texans and they're dealing with all this stuff. Meanwhile, there was massive blackouts in Oregon. There was massive blackouts in Mississippi as well, both of which are tied to the respective halves of the national grid. So even if Texas was tied into the grid, there's a likelihood that they weren't going to be able to be, you know, it, it, the conditions weren't going to be much better there anyway, as states that were currently tied into the grid also saw similar problems and the grid didn't save them either. Now, there are some problems with maybe the winterization of some of the wind turbines and things along those lines. Obviously, the le- the right immediately pointed to the wind and the left said, oh, no, but 80 percent of, uh, of all of the power is run by other things like natural gas and nuclear and yada, yada, yada. There were some shortcomings on nuclear, many of which were done out of precaution and can definitely be planned for moving forward should an event like this happen where the nuclear doesn't necessarily need to shut down. It just did because there was a certain triggers that told it, you know, certain temperature drops or whatever the case may be. It just automatically shut down, but it could be started back up again, given, you know, the proper preparation and, and, you know, conditions. And that's something that they now know about moving forward. This is the deal, folks. And that's the beauty of all of this is that the federal government does not need to come in and fix this. The people who work in Texas on the energy grid are very much aware of now all of these problems and they can find ways to do to fix it to avoid these problems moving forward because it's going to cost the state a bunch of money because they're going to have to pay a bunch of electric bills. They have to pay all these emergency funds and, and all this sort of stuff. It, it costs money to deal with natural disasters like this. They'd rather not do that. And if they do have to put some sort of regulation on, they'll do it themselves and it doesn't need to be done at a federal level. This is that wonderful 10th Amendment that leftists are all surprised that right-wingers talk about all the time. We don't necessarily sit there and go, oh, well, the 10th Amendment says. No, but the 10th Amendment is basically saying that anything that isn't already uh, designated to the federal government's responsibility falls to the states. That is essentially the right-wing agenda in one sentence, is that the states should have the rights to make decisions that aren't already allotted to the federal government. It, that, that's that's we talk about this all the time. Have you been at all conscious during this pandemic where we kept saying, no, you can't do federal mandates. You can't do this because the states have the rights to make these sorts of decisions and should because they're all fucking different in a variety of different ways. And the people who live there know better how to govern themselves than anybody fucking thousands of miles away from them trying to tell them how to their how they're supposed to live when they don't have the damnedest clue what it's like living in those places. There was a point to all this. Oh, the wind. So, yes, the right-wingers pointed to the wind, and the left-wingers said, oh, well, it wasn't the problem. It only accounted for uh, 20% of all of the energy grid. Yeah, thank God it wasn't the problem. If you idiots had your way, it might have been 50%, 60% of the grid, and, the t- and then Texas wouldn't have power for the next fucking month. So it's not the, it's not the wind's fault 
not because the wind did so good. As a matter of fact, the wind underperformed all of the other sources of energy, as you could see from information that's put out by ERCOT, which is, I believe, the Energy Reliability Commission of Texas. Uh, they probably want to drop that R out of there, given recent events. But nevertheless, they did put out a graph showing all the different types of energy that's produced in Texas, what they're supposed to pump out, what they actually pumped out, and wind was the worst performing of all of them. So thank God it was only 20% of the grid, because if it was more than that, people would be even more fucked. So thankfully, your dumbass policies didn't ruin the day here, because Texas was smart enough not to fucking implement them in the first place. But unity, though. Uh, I guess there is one thing that we can all unify behind, and that's that bombing Syria is totally cool again. So this whole thing is just bizarre. Now, let me, before I get into Joe Biden, let me be perfectly clear about what happened with Donald Trump in Syria. Donald Trump did bomb Syria precisely once with a very large bomb known as the mother of all bombs, a bomb that happened to be expiring within a year of its use. So I guess we need, if we're going to drop a bomb, you might as well drop the mother of all bombs. He dropped one in response to what was probably, in all likelihood, a false flag chemical attack that that basically he was roped in to responding to in some way, shape, or form. Everyone from, from the deep state war machine advisors all the way up to Ivanka herself, who was crying and upset that children were being gassed, and it turned out that that probably wasn't the actual case. Trump did drop one bomb on Syria saying, hey, cut that shit out, or this will be worse. And instead of you know starting a massive military conflict, starting a whole war, re-engaging, sending more troops, one bomb, one warning, that was the end of that, and no real a serious additional military action was taking place in that time, you know, since that time, basically. Now we've got Biden in office, and Biden attacked Iranian forces that are operating in Syria. Now, why wouldn't he operate, you know, go after Iranian forces operating in, I don't know, Iran or maybe Iraq or anything along those lines? Well, when Trump bombed Qasem Soleimani in Iraq, it was turned into the worst thing that's that's ever happened and definitely was going to start World War III, which, by the way, still has not begun for those of you who have been paying attention. So Biden comes in, and look, this is one military action. If this is all it is, I can't say too much about it, being that it would basically mirror what Trump had done. That said, I have my doubts. Biden is, you know— not exactly a super anti-war guy. Trump made it very clear from the beginning that he didn't want to start any new regime change wars. He wanted to end some of the existing regime change wars and was only duped out of not being able to do that because deep state hacks have now openly admitted that they basically lied to him about the number of troops that were there, which should be some degree of sedition or treason unto itself to undermine the commander in chief who is controlling, who has, who has command over all of the military branches and to be lying to him about information so that he can't enact his agenda. If that's not treason, I honestly can't really think of a very good example of what that might be because that's what that is, undermining the government from within, no less, and lying to a commanding officer. Basically, Donald Trump was the highest-ranking military officer in the land. He was the commander-in-chief, as Joe Biden is now. And... Nothing. You get you get no no. Not only do they not get blowback, but they could go into major publications and basically brag about it and, and nothing. They probably all still have jobs, which is the weirdest part of all of it. But nevertheless, Donald Trump was very clear about not wanting to start wars, not wanting to engage in military action where it wasn't necessary. Although 
he wasn't necessarily adverse to flexing our military might when need be, and he did so. He dropped that one bomb in Syria. He, you know, positioned, uh, he, well, he gave our military, he, he armed Ukraine against uh, Russia. He, you know, he would do things that would allow him to kind of show strength without going into a full-blown war, or even for that matter, sending troops into an area that weren't merited there. Joe Biden is not that guy, nor has he ever pretended to be, even though he does, well, I guess pretend on occasion to, uh, to, to say that he immediately challenged the war in Iraq and a war in Afghanistan, even though he voted for both of those wars. Joe Biden is, is not adverse to these regime change type wars. Again, he voted for the war in Iraq and for the war in Afghanistan. He voted to proceed with declaring war and, and pushing troops into a never-ending regime change war that still hasn't ended and probably won't at any point in our lifetimes because why would it? I mean, we had a president in office that wanted to end them and he still couldn't end them. So what's to say that the next guy who comes around and tries to do that will be any more successful? Mind you, Joe Biden, he's sitting around, he was more than happy to uh, to engage in these wars because they created new housing projects for his brother in these war-torn countries. And he just sat back and watched Obama drone everything uh, within a fucking, you know, basically anything that's moving outside of the American borders. He was just droning to death for eight years. And that's just where Joe Biden's at, man. I, I don't foresee that this is going to be a lone military action. We now know that the military-industrial complex loves the Democrat Party because it, it just so happens that since President Bush left office, the Republicans have been more of the anti-war party, and the Democrats can't seem to get back into them fast enough, so much so that their deep state allies were desperately trying to keep us into them in the first place. This is this is not the the you know the end for Joe Biden and his military ridiculousness. I don't even think this is an appetizer. This is more of an amuse bouche. We 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 have plenty more to go. We are only 39 days into this guy's presidency, and he's already bombing shit for no apparent reason, mind you. I mean, everything I read, it didn't seem like there was like an active military you know, anything crazy going on there at the moment. It just, it looked like there was some Iranians that were operating in this area in Syria, and he just decided to bomb them for, I mean, not no reason, I guess, but it, was it a particularly good one? I don't know. Killing Qasem Soleimani seemed like something that you want to, you know, move some things around for and try to get done. What what was really accomplished here? I don't know. And, and I have a feeling we'll find out because there'll be plenty more where that came from. But don't worry, these wars will be super woke and representative. All the soldiers are going to be black, trans, Muslim midgets, so everything's going to be just fine. And that brings me to equality. So a lot going on with the Equality Act this week. This is something that keeps popping up over and over again. Basically, the left wants to erase all religious exemptions and freedoms uh, and, and wants to replace them with trans ideology and all sorts of nonsense. So basically, the Equality Act right now wants to extend... Uh, anti-bias legislation basically to sexual identity and sexual orientation. I think sexual orientation is actually already included, but they want to extend it now to, uh, to, to you know, I guess, I don't know, non-binary, gender, non-conformity. It, 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 if it doesn't make sense to you, it's because it doesn't make sense at all. And uh, that's basically where we're at now. So this is this gets me to something I've kind of been wanting to talk about for a while. Um, it's not necessarily related to sexuality, but it is kind of applicable across the board. I guess it can all be shoveled under the umbrella of social or cultural Marxism. 
So here we are with, um, obviously, the left feels that transgender people are unjustly discriminated against in some way, shape, or form. I mean, I would argue that, that there's some discrimination taking place, but whether or not it's unjust is entirely up to you. So if you're a highly religious organization, let's say you're like Hobby Lobby, who won the case, I believe, against the Obama uh, against the Obama administration and didn't have to pay for people's birth control because they're a religious affiliated organization and it doesn't fall within their belief system to pay for people's contraception. Okay, you're like, you're a Hobby Lobby. Fair enough. Let's use them as the example. Or a Chick-fil-A even. Not that they're even exclusionary in any way, shape, or form in, uh, in the way that they hire, but Let's because they kind of get looped in with all these radical right wing organizations, despite the fact everyone loves their fucking chicken because it's delicious. Um, <laughs> people people don't want to talk about it sometimes. It's like that. Uh, it's like that Palestinian chicken episode from uh, from Curb Your Enthusiasm, which if you haven't watched it, it's one of the greatest episodes of television ever. Definitely go check it out. But yeah, some people just don't want to admit they like Chick-fil-A because there's some anti-wokery going on there that people don't want to be affiliated with. But let's say you're an organization like Hobby Lobby, like Chick-fil-A, whatever the case may be. You don't want to, you know, you don't you want to have anything, I don't want to say non-conservative, you don't want anything too controversial going on in your store, right? So if a woman who is, uh, or should I say a man who believes he's a woman walks in and like wants to get a job in your place and wants to be in the front of the store, kind of a, a customer facing position. Maybe that's not the type of person you necessarily want representing your brand. And maybe that's the type of person that might drive customers away. You have a very conservative client base. Maybe they don't want to have to answer weird questions from their children about this particular person and their mental disorder, which is essentially what we're talking about here. Um, this is something that, that you know, it should be up to the business to decide. And again, like, I think there is a level of discrimination taking place there, but no different than when you discriminate from one restaurant to another where you want to go eat or from one person to another on who you want to date. Discrimination takes place all the time. It's not necessarily the result of some sort of disparity or unjust disparity between two groups of people. So this equality law that they keep trying to push in, and they call it the equality law because it's like, well, how could you vote against the equality law? This is more of the word games that the left does all the time. It's it's not about equality. It's about forcing other people's worldviews onto people who have, by the way, constitutionally protected worldviews in the right to practice their religion how they want. And if you as an organization are affiliated with a given religion or you as the founders of an organization are somebody who believes strongly in a given religion, you shouldn't have to violate those religious beliefs because Bob thinks he's Betty now. That's not how this should work at all. Should there be some protections for trans people? For instance, like if you're already in a job somewhere and you decide that you want to come out, yeah, no, they shouldn't be able to fire you for that. But at the same time, understand that you are putting your employer in a difficult position at times. Um, there might be people in the workplace that are uncomfortable with the bathroom that you decide to use. There might be people in the workplace who are just uncomfortable with your lifestyle in general. It doesn't make them bigots. It just means that they are looking at you. And like myself, I look at somebody who has a mental disorder that for some reason it seems to be one of the only mental disorders that everybody else is obligated to play along with. And from a biological and really just a logical standpoint, that's that's a problem for some people. And now 
it's seeped its way into virtually every aspect of life, all the way down to our children's education. Fuck, I just read a DC comic not that long ago. They put out an epi- uh, a, a special edition of kind of little love stories for Valentine's Day. I just got around to it. It's called Love is a Battlefield. And sure enough, one of the villains in the middle of this little Wonder Woman thing is freaking out and trying to attack Wonder Woman because she's a confused transgender person. Now, I can appreciate making that particular person the villain in this story because they were. But at the end of the day, they shoehorn this in there where... The bad guy was attacking Wonder Woman. No one really knew why. Then it was a guy who thinks it's a boy and then but sometimes thinks it could be a girl and and was upset that no one could understand their pain. And then one random person like sticks their hand up in the restaurant that they were having this battle scene in was like, wait, I'm gender fluid, too. Like, I understand your pain. And she was like, wait, there's a word for this. And like, oh, my God, now they're just teaching fucking kids that gender fluid is like a totally normal lifestyle, which is why you saw that recent poll that just came out where more people are identifying as trans than ever before. It's not because it's becoming socially acceptable and that people are becoming more aware of it it's because this ideology is being pushed on young confused children who don't know any better and when they're confused and somebody provides them with an answer regardless of how ridiculous that answer may be they're going to take that answer as fact and push forward so instead of this confused young boy or young girl just maybe having some sexual you know just confusion because they're young and hormonal and they don't know things about sex in general now instead of them maybe just being a, a a normal straight person who's going through a phase or a gay person that now we have to chop their dick off and send them back out into the world as a woman why in god's name is that what we jumped to i thought we were worried about kids in cages we're not worried about chopping kids wangs off like that's not a thing it's bad enough you don't care that people are mutilating them in the womb. Now you're waiting until they're 10, 11, 12 years old, letting them live a somewhat normal life up to that point. And then we're like, eh, you know what? Let's chop that thing off. We're going to give you some estrogen pills. Everything's going to be fine. So then when they're 16 and they realize that they were just gay and their parents were stupid and their doctor was a fucking criminal, now all of a sudden these people, uh, now now they're it's irreversible damage that they can't seem to go back on. And it all because the adults in their room allowed it to happen. So why are we doing this? Well, because we have this problem in this country, which gets me back to the critical race theory, where suddenly we've shifted from equality to equity. It's not enough that everybody's treated equal under the law. Everybody needs to have the same results under the law, which is just never going to happen under any circumstances unless... You create a world very much like the one that my namesake came from. Harrison Bergeron, uh, a short story written by Kurt Vonnegut, is about a society that is so heavily focused on the equality of outcome that they bring everybody down to the lowest common denominator to ensure that no one is better than anybody else because you can't make people that are that are inferior superior, but you can make people that are superior inferior. So Harrison Bergeron, as I've talked about ad nauseum, is the tallest best looking, best singer, smartest guy in his little universe. And as such, he is subject to a variety of different penalties and punishments to bring him down to everybody else's level. He's so handsome, they make him put a bag over his face to hide how good he looks. He's so smart, they have to buzz him in the ear every seven seconds to stop him from putting together a string of thoughts. He's so strong, they need to weigh him down 
with all of these weights in order to make sure that he's not faster or more athletic than anybody else. This is the society we are moving towards. You're not making things better for trans people by forcing them down other people's throats. You're probably only going to cause greater resentment for them. And instead of making things better for everybody, we're going to make things worse for everybody because then that way it sucks for everybody and everything is equal. So we can't just, you know, we, we can't just maybe let businesses make their own decisions and let the free market flow as it will. No, no, we've got to step in and tell them that not only do they need to hire this trans transgender person, but they need to pay them $15 an hour on top of it. It's just silly. So we cannot continue to make things worse for everybody and expect that to be a, a you know pleasurable outcome for anybody. It's not going to work. Even the people that are that, that are on the bottom end of this and receiving all the benefits, life doesn't get much better for them. It just gets worse for everybody around them, which isn't helping them. Because as life gets worse for everybody around them, there's less people to potentially pay them if they need work or feed them if they need food. Now you've got less and less people that are being productive because there's no point in being more productive because you'll never get above a certain ceiling of success because the government will continue to come down and step on your head and keep you below water. And this is the critical race theory. Critical race theory and, and the Harrison-Bergeron concept as I understand it and know it and propagate it is, is perfect. It's like a perfect one-two punch here is that we're not worried about equality anymore. The law since 1964 has pretty much applied to everyone equally, at least by how it was written. Not always in application, but the way that it's written, it is written so that no one should be discriminated against based on their sex, their gender, their race, their whatever the case may be. These things are written into law already. And again, are they always carried out? No, but when they're not, that's that's when you should start your social media campaigns, not about guys that were killed by police and claiming they were unarmed when they stole their taser and shot at them. <laughs> it's like, you guys, I mean, I really want to I want to pay attention to these things. I want to call them out when they happen. I don't like police brutality. I don't like that there's. Uh, you know, that there's that there's still people performing racist, violent acts in this country. We should actually be focusing on and eliminating some of these instances, all of those instances. But we can't do that because there's too much fog to sift through because of the nonsense that people complain about, which we will get to in just a second. And it will kind of neatly tie into the absurdity of everything that just seems to be going on in the world today. But Critical race theory, the Equality Act, all of it. It's really just social, social, cultural Marxism, however you want to frame it. It's it's a set of ideas that that is designed on leveling the playing field as such that everything sucks for everybody, and they'll never. And there's no way that they could possibly, obviously, say that out loud. So they try to make it seem like we're going to help you know, X people and Y people, and we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And yeah, that's all well and good. But what is that? That that stuff doesn't just come from nowhere. When you say you want to pay reparations, that money comes from somewhere. When, when, when you say that we're going to give money to certain causes based on the colors of people's skins or the genitals that they happen to have, that's discriminatory. That's already against those very laws that I was talking about that already by the word of the law are supposed to be treating people equally. Now, that doesn't always happen. And when those instances happen, that's when I want to see people tweeting about and when, you know, these assholes in the mainstream media writing about it. But no, they only write about things that fit their little box and their little narrative, and they completely forget things exist like the Tenth Amendment because, you know, it's not convenient 
to that narrative. So those of you who have been following my podcasting career even before the right opinion and uh, and know my true identity, I was once upon a time on a good friend's podcast. The good friend's name is CEO Hayes. He hosts the Awakened Soul podcast. Um, Hayes is an African-American friend of mine. Uh, not, not that I count them all because um, that seems to always be the accusation. But he does a show uh, called The Awakened Soul, like I said, and it's very it's very soulful, hence the name. Uh, it does a lot of music, does a lot of culture, does a lot of obviously he you know there, there's a, there's a lot of the black culture is discussed and issues related thereof uh, on the on on that show. And Hayes and I are pretty good friends. He knows where I stand on politics. He knows I'm not shy about expressing my views. So he was having a bit of a roundtable on white privilege, and he decided to bring me on as sort of the token white guy in the conversation, and for that matter, the token conservative. And I remember thinking to myself before I was going on to this show that I was going to need to start to argue about, you know, the remnants of slavery and racial profiling and the Jim Crow era. But I was, of all the issues that I was talking about that day with, with the panel that was there, uh, I, it eventually kind of devolved to the point to where I was told basically like black women are oppressed because their hair care products are on a different part of the aisle as white women. And it, it, and I, I mean, hey, if that's oppression to you, like, you know, that's your truth, I guess. Uh, and I don't mean to belittle people who feel oppressed by these things. But honestly, I mean, I'm thinking about these big problems that you can maybe tie to uh, to to white privilege in some way, shape or form. But you want to get down to the nitty gritty of hair care products? I, I'm sorry, you lost me. Like I was I was legitimately stunned by how low the bar of oppression was on that particular discussion. There was other things that were brought up along the way, many of which I think I did a pretty good job of rebutting, like uh, the idea that, that cops are just killing black people willy-nilly. Um, that was one that I obviously was armed and ready to, uh, no pun intended, I guess, uh, armed and ready to go into. And, and I think I proved my point fairly well on that. But then when I was hit with stuff like this, I really just didn't know how to respond. And then that brought me to Gorilla Glue Girl. Yeah. So I stumbled upon this story, and I mean, I kept seeing Gorilla Glue Girl, and I didn't really pay a whole lot of attention as to what exactly this was or why anybody was talking about it. Then I found out exactly what was going on. So for those of you unaware, there's a a young black woman who apparently decided to put Gorilla Glue spray in her hair, Um, and this, of course, is the result of black beauty standards in America. Yeah. So even the idiot who put Gorilla Glue in her hair, she did that. No one forced her. No white patriarchy told her to, not to even my knowledge, nor did any black patriarchy tell her to. She took it upon herself to do something extraordinarily stupid. And even that is the result of systemic racism of some kind and the, quote, trauma of black beauty standards, as was written by NBCBoston.com. So I'm a little frightened uh, that 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 this is the sort of thing that we are dealing with in society these days, is that Gorilla Glue Girl, again, took it upon herself to put a adhesive product usually used for plastics, woods, and metals, and sprayed it in her hair because she was using another hair product that was called glue, 
So she thought it must be glue, and so all glue is pretty much the same glue. And because black women apparently have these crazy beauty standards where their hair needs to look like it's glued to their head, um, which is new to me as somebody who's dated black women, like uh, not, I mean, I'm not going to pretend I'm super knowledgeable about black female hair care because I'm certainly not. Um, but not, not a thing I encountered in my time, uh, <laughs> dating black women. Also not something, uh, a, a, a racist, uh, white nationalist domestic terrorist typically does, but you know, doesn't fit with the narrative. So apparently, uh, I'm still a racist, whatever. And, uh, because there's no shortage of absurdity to go around, I'm going to skip right over Gorilla Glue Girl because I just had to touch on that story because it was just as soon as I saw that spin, I could not believe that somebody actually went there, that they typed that up thinking it was a great idea, and then they then handed that to an editor who was like, oh, yeah, you got to run this on NBCBoston.com. Boston, by the way, not exactly known for, uh, for, for sympathy with the African-American culture, if you're catching my drifts, but, uh, you know, super liberal Boston up there, just saying. All right, so no, like I said, no shortage of absurdity. Uh, let's get into Rand Paul, because we talked a little bit about the transgender stuff at the top with the Equality Act. Rand Paul was, um, I guess, questioning Rachel Levin, who is the new assistant to the Secretary of Health uh, under the Biden administration, Dr. Rachel Levin is, of course, also a transgender woman, which is different than a regular woman. I know that because I have to say transgender woman, but nevertheless, I'm supposed to believe that transgender women are women, despite the fact that there's obviously a distinction between the two just based on the language. But nevertheless, Rand Paul, obviously not somebody who is super sympathetic to the idea that we should be allowing children to uh, change their gender on a whim without parental consent. And uh, for trying to save children from this awful experience, Rand Paul was obviously labeled as being a complete and utter monster. Now, it is worth pointing out that Rand Paul is a doctor himself. He's, I believe, an optometrist, so uh, obviously not his field of expertise necessarily, but the guy does have some uh, understanding of the field of medicine. So that's worth note before we get into this conversation. And then uh, there's a five-minute clip online of him questioning Rachel Levine about uh, the particular topic of transitioning minors that think they're transgender, whether or not they should be able to get um, treatment in some you know of the more evasive forms without parental consent. Rachel Levine has in the past stated that she believes they should be able to do that. Rand Paul, a sane person, uh, has some questions about it, and, uh, and uh, well, let, let's hear what uh, Dr. Levine has to say about all this. Here's a, it's like a two-minute exchange here. We're going to start with Rand Paul, then we're going to go to Rachel Levine, and back to Rand Paul. I differentiate between the two because both of them were born men, and it might be hard for you to tell the difference. But nevertheless, uh, we are going to go ahead and play that clip right about now. For most of our history, we believe that minors don't have full rights and the parents need to be involved. So I'm alarmed that you won't say with certainty that minors should not have the ability to make the decision to take hormones that will affect them for the rest of their life. Will you make a more firm decision on whether or not minors should be involved in these decisions? Senator, uh, transgender medicine is a very complex and nuanced field. Uh, and if confirmed to the position of Assistant Secretary of Health, I would certainly be pleased to come to your office and talk with you and your staff 
about the standards of care and the complexity of this field. Let it go into the record that the witness refused to answer the question. The question is a very specific one. Should minors be making these momentous decisions? For most of the history of medicine, we wouldn't let you have a cut sewn up in the ER, but you're willing to let a minor take things that prevent their puberty, and you think they get that back? You give a woman testosterone enough that she grows a beard, you think she's gonna go back looking like a woman when you stop the testosterone? You have permanently changed them. Infertility is another problem. None of these drugs have been approved for this. They're all being used off-label. I find it ironic that the left that went nuts over hydroxychloroquine being used possibly for COVID are not alarmed that these hormones are being used off-label. There's no long-term studies. We don't know what happens to them. We do know that there are dozens and dozens of people who've been through this who, who regret that this happened and a permanent change happened to them. And you know, if you've ever been around children, 14-year-olds can't make this decision. In the gender dysphoria clinic in England, 10% of the kids are between the ages of three and 10. We should be outraged that someone's talking to a three-year-old about changing their sex. Yeah, and that's, you know, kids in cages, awful. Kids mutilating their bodies permanently, totally cool. As long as they say it's okay and a doctor signs off on it, no big deal. Now, people obviously painted Rand Paul as a monster for not only questioning this whole ideology, but having the audacity to do it to the, the, the face of a transgender woman who is being appointed as the assistant secretary uh, to, to the health, I guess, the sec assistant to, to the health secretary um, within the Biden administration. It's important to note that, uh, that Rachel Levin's most famous you know, moments prior to this nomination include things like being part of an administration in Pennsylvania that was sending COVID patients into nursing homes while pulling her own grandmother out of said nursing home. Uh, also, including things like telling people during the COVID pandemic that it was okay to have orgies because, you know, sexual freedom is fine, but you're still not allowed to go grocery shopping, apparently, whatever the case may be. Uh, and, oh, by the way, in case I haven't mentioned it already, Rachel Levin is a transgender woman, which is obviously you know, one of the bigger check boxes that they were hitting when they decided to bring her in. Uh, this is a diversity hire of mammoth proportion, as Steven Crowder continues to point out on his show. Can you name the assistant secretary to anything else? Nope, but we're going to make this woman front and center. I don't actually know who the acting health secretary is because they've made such a big deal out of this woman, and uh, they, they seem to think that by putting her in the health department and... I guess, you know, pushing her out there in front of Rand Paul to be uh, uh, berated, I guess, is how they look at it. I don't even know. They thought that they might have some, might be able to gain some sympathy and obviously score a few woke points along the way. But I, I just think it's hilarious that Rand Paul is somehow painted as the monster in all this when all he wants is for us to recognize that children are dumb and that they shouldn't be able to make life-altering decisions for themselves particularly when those life-altering decisions involve ruining their body chemistry or, for that matter, permanently disfiguring their own bodies. It was described by Rand Paul during the early parts of that speech as gender mutilation, and that's exactly what it is, by definition. If you were to look up how these procedures are done and to describe them as anything other than mutilating genitals, it's just being disingenuous. That's what's happening. That is 
basically what the surgery is, is mutilating your given genitals and forming them to look like your non-given genitals. And given that there are generally pretty much two types of genitals, sans some very obscure hybrids out there, it's mutilation. You were meant to have a penis. You now have a vagina. You mutilated your penis to give yourself a vagina. But the woman, I mean the man, whatever, the doctor he's speaking to is transgender, so obviously he's not supposed to speak basic truths about the situation. He's supposed to sugarcoat it and bow to her knowledge on the subject. Like even she says, he says, whatever, whatever Z says, Z came in, you know, saying, oh, well, I could come to your office and uh, I can be, I'd be happy to explain to you the nuances. No, there's no fucking nuances. This isn't complicated. Children should not be able to do what you're what you're saying that they should be allowed to do. They just simply shouldn't. They shouldn't be able to vote. They shouldn't be able to drive cars. They shouldn't be able to buy alcohol. And they certainly shouldn't be able to chop their dicks off. This is not controversial. It's not intricate. It's not nuanced. It's fucking obvious. Again, if you're going to bitch and complain about children in cages at the border, by the way, Joe Biden still got him there. Him and his buddy Barack built the fucking cages in the first place. If you're going to complain about that, you need to be able to also raise your hand and say, yeah, maybe we shouldn't let kids mutilate their genitals and take hormones that aren't natural. Maybe. And and Rand Paul even drops in there, and I thought this was great, is that all these hormones that are being prescribed to these kids are being prescribed off-label. This is not the intended use for these hormones, and yet they're being prescribed, and yet the same left is more than okay with that, but was completely kicking and screaming about hydroxychloroquine being used off-label to treat the coronavirus, which, by the way, it now looks like was working, according to a recent study that came out of a hospital here in Hackensack, New Jersey. So, I'm sorry, you're going to have to pardon me if the hypocrisy is just a little bit too glaring for me to ignore. As a matter of fact, it's fucking blinding, and it's ridiculous that this stuff is allowed to go on. For Christ's sake, Marjorie Taylor Greene schooled a bunch of people on science this week. This is a woman who thinks Jewish space lasers are real and, like, all that sort of stuff. But she had to explain to a bunch of cocky you know, trans-sympathizing weirdos in the in the, the Democratic House uh, caucus over there that there are two genders, and they're male and they're female. And as she said, trust the science. More on MTG in a little bit here. I got some, some things to say about her. But before I do that, I just want to express to you how fucking dumb children are and how they absolutely, like Rand Paul said, should not be making decisions that are going to last the rest of their lives. Frankly, they probably shouldn't be making decisions that last like the rest of the week. These kids are really, really fucking dumb these days, and it's not getting any better anytime soon. The internet's certainly not helping, and the fact that people like Rachel Levine are in positions of authority on in the health department in the federal government when she thinks that it's okay to go and have orgies in the middle of a pandemic, or she thinks it's okay for children to have their dicks cut off at a, at a given whim, it is insane. Like, it's 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 not all that difficult to see how somebody like Joe Biden gets elected and why kids are so fucking stupid, because clearly there's a very few of us that have any brain cells left. And apparently I'm one of the few of them talking out loud on a regular basis. So I'm going to need some of y'all to step up, get your retweet on, do whatever you got to do. But we need some more sane people entering the conversation. And if I'm the sanest among us, we are all fucking doomed. Anyway, how dumb are kids? This dumb. Colin Keller is the Nazi guy. No! What Nazi guy? I don't know. He like, he's like a terrorist. Helen Keller is a Nazi terrorist that is a male. Is that what you're telling me right now? Yeah, I'm going to write Helen Keller up here. Yeah. Right? No. Are you thinking of Hitler? Who's Hitler? Is Hitler the 
Who is Hitler? Helen Keller was the blind and deaf person who was fake. She didn't exist, but everyone believes she was deaf and blind. What? She was fake? Yeah, she what? was deaf and blind. What Pearl Harbor was, if I say Pearl Harbor. Is that a bridge? <laughs> Do you know what D-Day is? D-Day. A person? A rapper? <laughs> You're, are you being Yes, they're being serious. They're fucking stupid. But let's lower the voting age and let kids just chop their genitals off. Definitely seems like a fucking brilliant idea to me. Uh, it's unreal. It really is unreal. So that gets me to my last story here, still on the subject of absurdity. Uh, New York, I'm sorry, Washington Post had put out an article that is behind a paywall, so I couldn't actually read it, but I could find a few tweets about it, uh, about Republican Madison Cawthorn, uh, who has apparently built his career on biographical falsehoods and is now using his seat in Congress to push election lies. So he's one of the pro-Trumpers that is into, uh, you know, obviously still fighting the good fight as far as the election fraud goes. And we should all be concerned about election fraud, whether or not you think it was enough to overturn the election. There was clear fraud and clear shenanigans going on in the 2020 election, as as is pretty fucking obvious to anybody who was paying attention, specifically Clarence Thomas. If you read that dissent on the uh, Supreme Court's decision not to hear the case he was very clear and said basically what I had said and, and which was echoed by, uh, or rather which was echoing uh, the comments of Jenna Ellis, who was working on the Trump legal team for a while there, is that the Supreme Court was asked to look into this beforehand, and they said, well, there's no real standing because you haven't suffered any injury. Then the election happens, and they go back, and they say, okay, well, now can you hear this? And they go, oh, well, the election's over. Now it's moot. So Clarence Thomas wrote a scathing dissent that I actually encourage everyone to read, even if this isn't your type of thing that you like to read. You'll enjoy it because he's just like he doesn't give a fuck. He, he, he just doesn't understand for the life of him why the Supreme Court waits for, you know, something to happen before they even rule on it. And then when they wait for it to happen, then they say, oh, well, it already happened. It's insane. It's almost like the Supreme Court, which is nine people selected for the purposes of selected for lifetime appointments for the purposes of them being above politics, uh, appear to be the most political people in the whole country, including some of Trump's nominees. These these folks are uh, deathly afraid of the Washington Post op-ed page and for some reason are are, are 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 terrified to make a controversial decision. I don't even care if it's the wrong decision. I at least have the balls to make a right to make a decision. They just kick the can down the road until it comes back to them, and then it comes back to them so far down the road, they go, oh, well, it doesn't really matter now. There's not much we could do about it. Leaving it open, as Clarence Thomas said in his dissent, for there to be further confusion in similar circumstances moving forward. The point of the Supreme Court is to step in and say, no, this is what happened. This is what should have happened. Here's the precedent. So now when it happens again, we don't have to have a whole fucking hullabaloo about it. We already know how it should have went down based on U.S. versus whatever the fuck. No? Uh, it's just me. Anyway, like I said, the story about Madison Cawthorn is behind the firewall, uh, or the beat the paywall over at at Washington Post, and I don't subscribe to them, so I can't tell you what it actually says in the article. But I can tell you based on some of the quotes that I'm getting picked out here on Twitter that it doesn't look good, right? Like Madison has been a bit of a rising star in the GOP, and he, but you know, he's by no means a big time player in the GOP. He's just definitely kind of one of these rising stars. He's the gentleman in the wheelchair. I'm sure you've noticed him a few times. Um, I don't believe he's he uh, obtained those injuries uh, in combat, but part of all of these falsehoods are 
potentially, you know, tie into the accident that put him in that wheelchair. And I guess he's been milking it for sympathy. And apparently the circumstances around those events are not quite what he said that they were. Fair enough. And if all that's true, fuck him. I, I really don't have any loyalty to any of these people anymore. I got loyalty to the one guy, and that's it. Because he actually stood in the pocket and took the heat and fought for us for four years. And for that, he does deserve some loyalty. The rest of these guys are still proving themselves. Everyone from Cruz down to Crenshaw and even the Marjorie Taylor Greens of the world have a chance to possibly make up for some of their past stupidity and, uh, and, and win over my support. But just because you have an R next to your name does not mean I'm fully behind you. That said, you are my only allies in this fight. And that kind of brings me to the absurdity of all of this is that everything that they wrote about Madison Cawthorn could be 100% true. And everything that they've said about Marjorie Taylor Greene up to this point is probably true. Lady is cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. But when she slapped that sign outside of her office in Congress saying that there's only two genders, hell yes. That's what I need. That's what I want out of these Republicans. I want a little bit of fight. I want a willingness to speak the truth, even if it's not popular. And uh, that goes for people like Marjorie Taylor Greene, who I, again, think is fucking crazy. But she's crazy, and she's fighting on my side of the, of the fight, so I might as well at least use some of her crazy for my own good. Madison Cawthorn might be a scumbag, but every time he gets on Twitter and owns a lib, he's doing me a service. So unfortunately, getting back to kind of what I was talking about at the beginning, is that the left has created a set of rules to where basically I have one of two options, is that I could play by the rules and get pummeled to death, or I can lower myself to their standards and try to play dirty, which is all they ever do ever. And, you know, now I've got to, whether, whether this is true about Madison Cawthorn or not, whether, whether Marjorie Taylor Greene thought the Jewish space lasers were super real, whether Ted Cruz was completely politically retarded enough to think that going to Cancun in the middle of a travesty in his state was going to be a good move. Like, I, unfortunately, this is what I got, okay? These are the soldiers that I've been left with. And if I want to win this war, I need soldiers. So the absurdity of all of this is that I'm stuck defending these people. You know what? I'm not even defending them. But while I think they're fucking boobs, they're not nearly as big a boobs. Not that I don't like big boobs, but they're not nearly as big a boobs as the idiots on the other side of the aisle. Ted Cruz might be politically retarded. That's fine. He at least says the right things and, to, to the best of my awareness, believes a lot of the right things about how policy should work. And yeah, Marjorie Taylor Greene's batshit crazy, but she's less crazy than the idiot across the hall from her in Congress who thinks like she was owning her by putting a trans flag outside. Meanwhile, Marjorie Taylor Greene, who is legitimately, possibly, completely out of her fucking mind, is the one that knows more about the subject. This girl's, oh, well, my kid's transgender, so I'm an expert all of a sudden. Really? There's two genders. This is not difficult. This is not controversial, or at least it shouldn't be, but unfortunately, it is. Because the idiots like that and the idiots in that school that thought Helen Keller was Hitler and that D-Day was a rapper and that Pearl Harbor was a bridge. These are the idiots that they want to vote and that they want to let make life-altering decisions for themselves. And so, unfortunately, MTG's crazy and Madison Cawthorn might be an idiot and, and Ted Cruz might be politically retarded, but these are my allies. This is what I've got to work with here. And as far as Madison Cawthorn's Bio biographical falsehoods. Um, yeah, hello, President Useless Sack of Potatoes called, and he said Madison Cawthorn's putting up rookie numbers, okay? This is a man who stole another man's life story 
had to drop out of the presidential race in 1988 as a result of it. He cheated his way through law school, then made excuses for it. He stole countless policy ideas, basically verbatim, from people that he was running against, including Trump's plan on COVID, which apparently didn't exist even though Biden is doing exactly what Trump was doing before Trump left office. But Madison Cawthorn was mean to some people and may have lied about how he got into a wheelchair, so I'm supposed to care about that instead of caring about the Tenth Amendment or the First Amendment or the Second Amendment or any of the other amendments or any of the other rights that we've been given by God and should be protected by government instead. The idiots in government want to expand government and not even fulfill the goals of government, which is to protect those rights. So MTG's crazy. Ted Cruz is an idiot. Madison Cawthorn might be a scumbag. That's fine. Are we giving them book deals and Emmy Awards? Anybody seeing that? And No, I, I didn't think so. Maybe he's got to sexually harass a staffer and then he can get all those things. But unfortunately, he's not one of the chosen few like Governor Bowser up in... Uh, up in New York there, and uh, despite the fact that he's killing grandmas at an alarming rate and apparently sexually harassing every woman who's worked for him at any point in the last couple of years, we're supposed to believe he is the arbiter of all that is good. He is the moral high ground. He is everything that is right with governance and everything that all leaders should be. But Madison Cawthorn, you know, he might have said some dumb shit or might have told a few lies here and there. I, last I checked, none of those lies killed any grandmas or sexually assaulted any staffers. But, you know, let's make a big stink about them because Madison Cawthorn, you know, he's in a wheelchair. He could get some sympathies. A Republican, like, we don't want people to like him, so let's ruin his career. And, and, and again, it may very well merit ruining, but it's hard for me to take it seriously from the Washington Post when they overlook Cuomo's mis misdeeds and they overlook Biden's misdeeds and they overlooked Hillary's misdeeds and they overlooked the fucking Lincoln Project's misdeeds for all this time. I cannot get behind or in any way support your outrage when it is only in one direction. Again, I'm as pissed off about some of these scandals on the right as anybody, they hurt my cause. They make everything more difficult for people on the right to get things accomplished. I hate the fucking rhinos. I hate the scumbags. I hate the Steve Kings, not Strangler Steve King. He's great, but the asshole from Iowa that we had to get rid of because he was saying a bunch of racist shit, and then he decided to speak at Nick Fuentes' little fucking white supremacy rally, further cementing what a great idea it was to get rid of him. There's a lot of people I hate on the right, but they're the only people I got fighting the fight. So until the time comes where the left starts legitimately calling out their own, I cannot afford to knock soldiers out of a fight that I'm barely holding on in. And that's basically where we're at right now. It's it's shameful. It really is. You know, I was talking to one of these leftist idiots on Twitter the other day, and we were talking about Trump's tax returns for some reason. I don't even understand why. They're going to go through this whole investigation to determine that Donald Trump is A, rich, and B, pays what he owes, which is probably, which is only what's been uncovered every time that they've had one of these bombshell, Trump's taxes, he only paid this, oh, but he only actually, he actually owed less than that, so we gave him his money back, or we rolled over the things. He's doing everything by the books, folks, and even if he's not, he ain't doing it. He's handing it to a fucking accountant, who, if they're fudging the numbers, that shit should probably fall on them. But nevertheless... This idiot is like, oh, well, shouldn't have given his tax returns? No, I don't really think a president should be obligated to give his tax returns. That's not just because Trump is my guy. It's because I really don't know what we can learn from them that's of any value. We learned that Joe Biden's tax returns showed he's the least charitable president ever, including Trump. We learned that through Hillary Clinton's tax returns that the only charities she gives to are charities that she operates. 
That didn't seem weird to anybody. It's not like there's like a line item in John Donald Trump's taxes that say like money money Putin gave me to fuck over America two bajillion dollars. It's like that's what they think is going to be in there because these people are idiots and they've been told that there's something in these tax returns that needs to be unveiled. Yet seemingly every time they unveil something, it just turns out that he's rich and he pays what he owes. The Mueller team looked through all of his tax returns, too. You don't think they would have tied some charges in there if they could have? They can't because they didn't, and there's nothing to charge him for. Again, we're going to waste more time and valuable resources to prove that Donald Trump is wealthy and pays the taxes that he owes. So, no, I don't give a shit that he didn't give away his taxes. And, yes, the next time a Democrat refuses to do so, I am going to hold them to the same standard that they held Donald Trump to. I don't care what's in their tax returns, frankly, but if if now— the, the the determining factor as to whether or not somebody is honest is whether or not they're willing to disclose their tax returns. You bet your ass if a Democrat decides that they're not going to give it up, that we're going to throw that shit right back in their face, and rightfully so. You guys made the rules. Now we're going to make you live by them. And that's our really only our only way to victory is mutually assured destruction, is that if you guys want to cancel us, you want to ruin us, we can play that game too, and eventually— Maybe one of us will back off and we can get back to something vaguely resembling normalcy or, for that matter, unity. But I have my doubts. There's plenty more absurdity coming, that's for sure, and I'll be talking about it right here on the Right Opinion Podcast. Of course, follow me on social media at Right Opinion Pod on Instagram and Twitter and at The Right Opinion Pod on Parlor. Check out the show at therightopinion.podbean.com, hominmediagroup.podbean.com, and ratsaladreview.com, or just search The Right Opinion on your podcatcher of choice. It'll be the one that's black and white and red all over, like the New York Times used to be. Anyway, it's that point in the show where I have to remind you fine folks that opinions are like assholes, and everybody's got one. But this asshole has the right opinion, and you can only get it right here on The Right Opinion. I'm Harrison Bergeron, and I will talk to y'all Next time. Peace. Be the elephant in the room in a room full of elephants. Be the elephant in the room in a room full of elephants. Boom. Boom.